Welcome back to Yuktropolis. This is uh, the podcast with real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions. My name is James Hill, and I'm very happy to have my good friend Eve Goldberg here for an interview today. Hi, Eve. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's a pleasure. This is our first Yuktropolis podcast interview. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know I was the first. You're the first one. So All right. We're just figuring well, out how you. this goes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm honored. Well, me too. Um, <laughs> and so, so those of you who don't know um, about Eve, she's an amazing songwriter, singer, uh, touring artist, recording artist, uh, a wonderful ukulele player and teacher, a good friend, and somebody who's also active in the, um, the Musicians' Union. And so we could have several conversations and not uh, even scratch the surface of all the things that uh, she's been involved with. So it's, um, it's more of a question of where do we start? And, uh, <laughs> and I think, you know, people listening to Euctropolis, a lot of them are um, learning on their own or they're teachers who are teaching others. So can you give us um, a bit of an idea of what lockdown has meant for you and some of the even maybe some of the uh, the, the coping mechanisms uh, as a teacher and some of the silver linings that you've seen come out of this time? Yeah, well, um, I was in the middle of teaching classes, uh, sort of in the middle of a term when all this hit. And um, the first thing that happened was just, it was sort of oh my God, like, how are we going to do anything? Mm-hmm. That was the first, my first response was, um, I, I don't know if I can continue my classes, I, what's going to happen to my students. But um, I also knew I had been teaching, f- I've been teaching for a long time on a site called jamplay.com. It's actually a guitar site. And every Thursday night I get on my webcam and I teach in a chat room. And I've been doing that for about 10 year, 10 or 11 years now. So I had already had some experience with online teaching in in one format. So I sort of knew that there was some kind of possibility. So it was like a quick, uh, steep learning curve of um, what is going to be possible. Um, and the first thing that, you know, Zoom sort of immediately, I'd already been using Zoom for meetings, like I had Zoom. and I. So it was sort of a quick trying to figure out can you do music on zoom like what are the what are the limitations and but my students were great like it was amazing they were so willing to try it and uh you know i there was a few tutorials online how to get good music sound or what to do when you're playing music on mm-hmm. zoom so i just like went for it and um, what do you think made them so willing to go with you i mean uh, some students pushed back some students really went for it it sounds like all of your folks were really willing to follow you. What, what do you think that was all about? Yeah, well, I think the idea that there was any possibility of connecting to other people and making music, I think people were so, um, at that point, the lockdown was pretty complete, like mm. in in Toronto. So it was pretty, um, when you went outside, it was really quiet because none of the stores were open. Nobody was out. So I think people felt this extreme isolation. It was really eerie mm. uh, for a couple of weeks in Toronto. So I definitely feel like people just, 
the possibility that they could still do something like make music that's so soul nourishing and connects you to other people, um, I think just really fed something yeah. in people that they needed in that moment. And I think still does. So, But, but doesn't um, it also, I mean, this might be more awkward for you to say, so I'll say it instead, but you have already <laughs> created a, a, a community around your teaching studio when your approach, it seems to me, is not just to teach music out of your house, I mean, or out of your studio. It's it's more how to build a community around the instrument and around your own teaching, and you've done that really successfully. Um, how how have you how have you done that? How have you created a, a tight knit group like that? That's an interesting question. I mean, I come from a community music background, and so I guess when I came to ukulele, and that was through you, really, um, through meeting you and um, getting into the um, ukulele in the classroom kind of methodology and taking your teacher training, which opened up a whole um, new avenue of teaching for me. I'd been teaching for a long time, but I I come from this folky uh sort of community music background where I spent a lot of time from childhood on sitting in circles with people, making music with people at all different levels of experience um, where everybody was valued. Mm-hmm. You know, people who who could not carry a tune in a bucket were were appreciated, you know, in some way even as the next person was like a professional musician, um, there was just this appreciation for people coming together to make music for the joy of it. So I think I just come to teaching and making music with other people with that perspective that it's not about getting it right and you know it's not about being perfect, but it's about um, finding the joy and making music together and being curious about what you can do and sort of not having judgment and of yourself or trying to get past that. So for me, that whole teaching thing, that's what I'm doing. And I think that creates people really value, you know, come to value that and, and really enjoy making music because of that. It kind of, you know, as adults, sometimes people feel a bit cut off from their own musicality. And I think I've tried to sort of create an environment a supportive environment in the classroom where people can try things and um, and feel supported. That's so cool. And when when it really comes down to the nuts and bolts, how how does that play out? I mean, we talk a lot in the Jay Hui program and in Ukulele in the classroom. We talk a lot about differentiation, so students who are at different levels of ability uh, can play together uh, at parts that align with their level of ability, but it all sounds good together. Um, I mean, how do you, going beyond just technique though, um, you're also talking about people's sort of self-image almost. You know, you have people who are at different levels of considering themselves musical. Um, That's, you know, and that's not always... uh, that's not always a one-to-one thing. So like a person who is really capable sometimes doesn't think they're that capable. A person who is often at a very elementary level maybe thinks too much of themselves, you know. So you've got not only the technical differentiation, but you've got sort of the psychological differentiation. Is that something you you kind of come at purposefully or is it really sort of a feel thing in, in the moment? Is there is there any advice around managing all those things? 
Yeah. Um, for me, it's really a feel thing. I've always, and this was one of the big challenges for me um, moving online because um, I've always kind of, I make a plan for what I'm going to do in a class. Uh, but then when it starts, like it's the people in front of me and what happens as we're going that kind of, I I tend to sort of like, I might go with something that comes up in the class or I might realize, oh, um, they're not ready for what I was planning. So I have to back up a little bit and mm. do, you know, go in a slightly different direction. And um, so for me, it's really a feel thing and kind of sensing. And that's one of the things when you're teaching online that I found in a class situation is much more challenging because you have to, all the material, everything has to be prepared ahead of time and you have to have a plan and everybody's muted. So you actually can't, you don't get the feedback of where they're at. Um, So it's a different kind of teaching and it doesn't necessarily, it's still, people still get connected to the music, but you don't really have the sense of whether they're, they're improving or what they particularly might need help with um, as much, you know, it's much harder to have that sense. So, um, but I'm definitely like a feel kind of, I go a lot by feel in the group. Right. um, But as you say that, 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 that approach, which I I think is great too, and and I think all teachers at some point just have to rely on that instinct. There's no question. Um, but as you say, that gets so much more difficult in the online environment. Something we've been talking about quite a bit on the um, Jehui Cafe, which is the online. Uh, area where Jehui students get to connect sort of uh, in a sort of a staff room that's private, uh, but also on the wider Euctropolis community, we've been talking about what are the ways that we can bring assessment back into, meaningful assessment back into online teaching. Are there any tools that you've found um, that, that get around the problem of just sort of pretending that you can hear people? Because that's yeah. that's not <laughs> sort of ideal, right? Yeah, and I think I've always been, as a teacher, I've been less concerned with assessment overall. Like, that's not my main reason for teaching. And I always want people to feel challenged and to feel like they're getting better. But I'm not very focused on assessment or um, I'm more focused on, like, participation and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it's it's not as much of a concern for me. But one of the interesting things that happened in my... Um, I have a ukulele orchestra, which is people at different levels, and we work on arranged pieces. It's less of a teaching environment, um, but more of a rehearsal. You know, mm-hmm. people are in sections and stuff like that. Um, and so we usually have a concert where we play the pieces we've been working on, but um, we couldn't do that in the middle of the pandemic. So instead, we have been creating virtual performances. So I've now been through the the um, process of having giving people instructions, having them all record themselves, either video or audio or both, and um, and then putting together these these performances. And um, this is a bit roundabout, but what happened when we did that, it was really interesting because the number of, uh, the, the amount of feedback that I got from students about um, their like sort of self-negative talk <laughs> about their performance was incredible. And some people didn't do it. They were too scared to do it. Um, some people did it, but they sent me their recording and said, oh, this is really crappy, but here it is, or I hated doing this, mm-hmm. or I, it, it was just so overwhelming and I wasn't really expecting it. So, um, 
we actually took some time in one of our rehearsals uh, after we had gone through the first sort of bit of this process and we had a conversation in the group. This is about 25 to 30 ukulele players and I sent them into breakout rooms with a couple of questions and it was like, if you, did you do the recording? You know, did you participate and why or why not? And how, if you did it, how did it make you feel? Or if you tried it, what feelings did it bring up for you? And what was that like? Mm. And so I send them into little small groups to talk about that. And then we came back together and talked together. And what I learned from that as a teacher is um, that often students actually aren't necessarily hearing themselves as much as I think they would naturally hear themselves. That there's the, the sort of loop of like, I'm playing and I can hear what I'm playing. And, uh, you know, here's what I need to improve or that that was good or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, somehow there's, there's a little bit of a disconnect there for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So they played and then they heard themselves and they realized all this, all, you know, mostly it was negative. they they heard all this stuff that they thought was terrible. Um, and they felt badly about particip you know, participating. So it gave me a chance to really talk more fully about my philosophy around teaching, but it also really opened up this, this channel of like, I had their individual recordings and um, I haven't done as much of this as I would like, but I realize now I have this way of sort of like, hey, that was really great, but I heard this you know, right. in what you're playing or, um, so that's kind of, a long answer to that question, but it was a really interesting learning for me. And I feel like there's some potential there for, for sort of developing more, um, individual, being able to help people individually through that. Right. Um, I mean, and, and, um, Flipgrid is one tool that we've been talking about in the community. I know it's a Microsoft product. I'm not promoting it per se, but it, it is, a free product from Microsoft that allows you to have your students quickly upload videos. Um, and you know, what I, what I find um, is that zoom is great for some things. And then it just has certain blind spots. Like the fact that I can't quickly um, assess how a student actually sounds. And I'm not talking about like a formal assessment, uh, like a report card. I'm just, I'm right. just talking about like, can I take two seconds and and see or hear if you understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about, you know, on the fly assessment. Zoom is really hard for that, right? Because yeah. you would have to yeah. go around the whole screen one by one. And what would normally take three seconds in a, in a, in a real life environment now takes 10 minutes. It, you yeah. know, in an online environment which makes it totally impractical. So yeah. I, I think you're, you know, this, however you do it, whether it's the way you're describing uh, with the tools you're using or whether it's something like Flipgrid, it's some kind of like other other platform or other tool that kind of fills in the blanks of Zoom. I, I think that's a big step for the teaching community. If we can sort of, if we can, first of all, admit that we have a problem. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> First of all, admit Houston. that you know Zoom <laughs> does not do everything, and then yeah. and then look for solutions to to give that individualized feedback. I think I think we're gonna be I think we're gonna be okay, um, but just zooming it 100. Uh, percent I'm not sure that that's uh, a long term solution. Yeah, I don't, I just heard I've just heard about Flipgrid recently, so I haven't figured out I haven't explored it and haven't figured out um, how I might use it. Um, 
but, um, and I'm not, you know, one thing to clarify is all my teaching is like community teaching. I'm not in a classroom environment where I have to do any kind of mm-hmm. assessment or where there's anything at stake. You know, this is all adults who are doing it for fun. And um, I'm always interested in helping people get better. But I'm also, like I said, I, I tend to lean way more towards the sort of participate and have fun and sure. and plug into music making. But I recognize that um, a lot of people... Um, teachers really need those tools. And I think, so I think we should be like looking around and, you know, I'm really glad that the um, Mm -hmm. uh, Jay Huey Cafe is there because people are definitely exchanging some information. And um, I know that Flipgrid came up in the last um, uh, sort of online gathering that we did. Um, I wasn't there, so I didn't hear all the details, but so Flipgrid is something that I'm really interested in checking out. And, um, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be more things that sort of start coming in and, you know, the possibility of things plugging into Zoom or something like that. Like there's going to be more possibilities opening up. I mean, it's it's only been six or seven months, you know, mm-hmm. that we've been in this situation, right? So, um, and, and, and on that topic, um, I mean, a couple of questions come to mind. The, the first one is sort of um, when you talk about participation and community-oriented uh, instruction where it's more i mean if i can paraphrase uh tony coleman uh the director of mighty uke he says you know in so many groups it's it's really more about how it feels not how it sounds um and i think there's a lot of wisdom in that i think there's a lot of healing power in that and um regenerative kind of um music making and that's super important um how do you keep that alive um and how have you kept both that and the social element that's so important to particularly adult learners how have you kept that alive um through this period yeah that's um it's definitely challenging i mean i try to um i've one thing i've done is i've started um like all my classes moved online and then the, I started doing this other thing that I call the wing ding because I couldn't think of another name. <laughs> but it's uh, it's not a teaching thing. It's an hour of playing music together. So um, I provide a little songbook of like 20, you know, 10 to 20 songs. And um, we get on Zoom together and I lead everything. And people can bring whatever instrument they want. So um uh, but, you know, a lot of people are bringing ukuleles and, um, I, uh, you know, they've got the song sheets with the chords and we just play for fun. And if there's any, you know, hard chords or something like that, I'll, I'll point out, you know, stuff or give people an idea of how to accompany it. And, um, it's interesting, even though people can't, he- they can only hear me and themselves. Um, I think people really enjoy this, they feel like they're in a room together with a bunch of people. Um, and there's, I think there's something to that, even though we all know it's not the same as actually being in a room together. Um, it's the best we have right now. So, um, so I feel like, um, just giving a little bit of time in, like in the classes, I give a little bit of time, try to give a little bit of time for social kind of stuff, unmute everybody and have a little conversation. Every once in a while, I've sent people into breakout rooms, you know, to meet each other or answer a question or something like that. You know, some ways of getting people to connect with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Stuff like that, I think, is almost as important as the 
actual making music. Mm -hmm. Because I think most adults who are taking classes like the ones I'm teaching, they're doing it to connect with other people and, and, um, you know, do something fun and interesting besides, you know, that's not work-based and, and sort of, uh, build their neural networks or whatever, (laughs) you know? Um, yeah, no, it's definitely, I, I see that. And I've even become more interested myself in, in sort of the medicinal aspects of music making, um, beyond just sort of like music literacy and ticking the boxes in, in the classroom for certain, you know, learning outcomes. I think that's important. And I think the ukulele does well there. And that's where I grew up with the ukulele was my first exposure in that kind of environment. But, you know, over the years uh, with the work that you're doing and with a lot of other folks who are community music minded, you really start to see the importance and, and the, the payoffs of, um, of the ukulele in that context of just providing joy and just providing connection, yeah. just providing, um, you know, um, healing opportunities for people. So, so speaking of silver linings, uh, through the pandemic. Um, yeah. I lost you for I, a minute there. Oh, okay. I'm back. My connection uh, is good. unstable. Because <laughs> I I didn't plug in. The little plug is over there. So oh yeah, okay. I was I was gonna say that's the first thing I learned was plug in. I know in. I know I usually <laughs> do, but it's like, it won't quite like <laughs> get all the way over here. Um, so speaking of silver linings, um, I think most people are uh, most people say uh, things are not going to go back to the way they were. They they will they will likely get better, and we will likely sort of quote unquote open up again. Um, but things are not ever going to go really back to the way they were. From your perspective, what things that we have, what what are some of the things that we've um, grown into over the course of this pandemic do you think are going to stick around for good? Um, I think online streaming and online concerts are, are here for good. I, I actually don't think that's going to go away. And I think there's a number of musicians who, you know, maybe they're um, sort of at the end of their touring life. You know, they just can't be on the road 100 days a year or whatever. Or musicians who just, you know, have home commitments or don't like being split between home and traveling. I think they're going to, some of them are going to choose to just carry on with streaming concerts and they're not going to really go back out on the road. That to me, that's like number one. I I see that all over the place. And I've talked to a few people who are like, that's it. I'm never touring again. So there's that. Um, I also think that like for me as a teacher, one of the interesting things has been um, before the pandemic, my classes were limited to people who could get to my studio in downtown Toronto. And now I, you know, I'm lucky that I have done things in different places and I have a mailing list that reaches people all over North America. Um, My classes are open to to anyone, um, anywhere. And, you know, the, that wing ding that I was mentioning, I've got people from Washington state, people from Connecticut, people from Delaware, and I'm in Toronto, people from all over Ontario, um, who wouldn't be able to come to my studio and participate in something like that. So, and they're getting to know each other a little bit, you know, through the, through this. So, um, so that's been really interesting. And I, I feel as a teacher that even if I go back to, 
in-person um, classes that I'm probably going to want to be doing something online um, like what I'm doing now, you know, somehow combine or I'm not sure. There's some ways I prefer it. I don't have to, I don't have to, um, you know, clean up my studio and um, <laughs> make tea for everybody and right, all right. that kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, which of course is a joy to do when you have students coming over, but um, mm. you know, I can be no pants on or whatever <laughs> yeah. and teaching my U class. And there's something that's kind of um, uh, relaxing about that, more relaxing mm. in a way. Isn't that funny? You know? Yeah. Um, I agree with I, I agree with that. I think there are aspects of this that are just going to be around forever. Um, one one thing that's always been an issue, of course, for musicians is when do you stop giving it away? And you're running a, a successful um, teaching studio, both in the sense that it's financially sustainable um, and that it's socially sustainable. It's fun to be part of, and and you've really seem to have balanced those two sides of things really, really nicely. Um, I get what my question, I guess, is for people who are out there going, yeah, I can, I can get on zoom and I can do a YouTube video and I can, I can get my teaching out there, but when and how do I actually start getting paid for this? Um, do you have any advice for people who are just trying to figure that out? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, I mean, I've been teaching for a long time. So, um, when I start, when I first started teaching like private lessons, um, I would give, I would do like, you know, one free lesson. Um, you know, I had sort of a way of, I always thought about it, like, this is, this is my work. So I need to be paid for it in some way. Um, but I think it's really important that people get a sense of the value of what they're doing and and um, and put themselves out there, not be afraid to put themselves out there, you know, as a professional, and this is what it's going to cost you. Um, and I think people respect that if you if you are offering something that's something they want, there I think people are willing to pay. And there's, what I've noticed as a performer is there's actually kind of an inverse relationship sometimes between how much people pay to get into a concert and how much they appreciate what you're giving them. So when I have done um, things that are like past the hat, for example, um, people will come and go. They might talk. There might be people talking at the back. Um, they're not that invested in the performance. But if the if there's a cover charge of fifteen twenty dollars, they've already invested. They've already decided this is something I really want to spend my time doing, and I value what this person is offering. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch it. So there's a little psychology thing there that's I think sometimes we we um, as musicians kind of um, forget or or have trouble with but it's actually and it feels counterintuitive but it's actually when people are paying you for your services or for what you're offering them they're they're going to be more invested in it and more likely to sort of stick with it and and um value it i and, think and they're honoring your uh, skills and contributions and that sort of rubs off on the way that you approach it is what you're saying too. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, and you, I mean, you have to develop something that you're offering that is that people, you know, that people are going to want. So, you know, you do have to do the work 
and develop yourself as a musician or a teacher or whatever it is. Um, and, and, um, but if you do that work and you develop something that's like your unique thing that you're offering people, um, I think it, it's a big pie and it just gets bigger. You know, people mm-hmm. are going to want it, you yeah. know? So, um, that's my philosophy anyway, cool. <laughs> my anti-competitive philosophy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. I mean, that's a really nice way to look at it and a really positive way to look at a thing that musicians sometimes get a little negative about and um, unsure themselves about. Yeah, and I I think there's nothing wrong with like um, putting something out uh, for free as like, look, this is what I'm, this is what I can do or this is what I'm doing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all as part of what you're doing. But if you're, if you're going to, have people come and take a whole class from you or something like that, then I do feel like, you know, um, you should value yourself and, and what you're offering, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Now, um, I know that you just recently did, uh, an ambitious kind of online orchestra thing, <laughs> cyber lately. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about that and, and what you learned from, from that experience? Yeah, that was a big learning. Um, and it was, uh, so uh, most summers I teach a week or two weeks of classes at Halliburton School of the Arts, a couple of hours north of Toronto. And again, it's all adults, but it's like, um, you know, nine in the morning till four in the afternoon for five days, you know, a class. And so it's pretty intense. And the last two years, myself and my colleague, Brenna McCrimmon, who also teaches with me, um, we've offered uh, ukulele orchestra as a, we started just by offering different levels of ukulele or whatever. But um, last year we offered this ukulele orchestra, which is the idea of which is to have people at different levels. You put them in different sections with um, you know, different levels of difficulty and you can play music together, you know, arranged music you can play together. So that's kind of, um, so we, and it went really well. We had a really good uptake. A lot of people registered and people were really into it. So this year when it was canceled, we were like, Oh damn, like, what are we going to do? <laughs> um, and you know, all of a sudden we were like, well, why don't we just do it online? Like how hard could that be? Right. How you know? hard can it be? Well, this is this is the thing, right? So, um, so we decided to do a, a weekend where we worked on like three pieces, and um, you know through Zoom, and we would have sort of um, a whole day with um, so you'd be in your sectional learning your part, and then we'd come together and play play the piece together, and there would be breaks and you know this kind of things, and then we created virtual performances out of the three pieces that we worked on. So um, what I learned is uh, (laughs) doing something like that online, again, this thing of, um, you know, sort of showing up and responding to the group in front of you, uh, you really, it's not as possible. So everything had to be ready ahead of time. We had a, a password protected page where people downloaded their music. We created rehearsal tracks where you could hear just the uke one part, just the uke two part, just the uke three part, or the whole thing. Um, that so we put those on that page so people could download them and practice them. And this is in advance of the thing. 
all in advance. So we were like scrambling like crazy to get that mm-hmm. already. I was like under the table before the weekend began practically, but, um, <laughs> but it was all really fun. And we ended up again, having people from all over like West coast of, uh, you know, Cal, uh, Oregon, I guess. And, um, someone in Spain and someone in France and, you know, it was, um, it was really interesting and super fun. Um, and a few Jehui teachers, participated and yeah that's great I, and I, yeah. I heard it was super fun too and this is um this is a model of of basically a sort of a uke fest 2.0 is what uh ukulele magazine called it when i i wrote an article about the first uh ukulele hot springs where we tried right. this model and i was right. sort of saying this is a maybe a blueprint for a different type of uke fest and it's very much like what what you're what you're trying what i never thought of is how it would translate to online online i know and it's actually your model it was exactly what we did and i i mean i didn't even really um think about it that way until afterwards i was like oh yeah mm. that's that's pretty much what james did <laughs> you know Right, um, but but in in the in person thing, like you're asking people to work pretty hard. First of all, like they're not just showing up and and sloughing off a few chords here and there. Like they've worked for some people six weeks leading up to this to get their parts right. Then instead of a workshop where they can just sort of hide in the back, it's like a it's like a sectional where they have to work on their part. Then they come back and like you're asking a lot of them, and for them the payoff. It, the the place where they they sort of finally sit back and breathe out and say hey that was all worth it the payoff is that performance where it yeah. all comes together and it, it's like it's like watching the end of a of a great film it's like oh all these threads just came together and 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 it's so satisfying that payoff is just not going to be the same thing in an online ensemble and, and this, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was thinking as you were talking, because, um, in an, the online context, I think people, I, I do think people prepared and learned the part, you know, went over the parts ahead of time. But, um, when you're in the sectional, for example, you know, you're still in a situation where, you know, the group can't hear you mm-hmm. and we can't hear the group as a whole. So, um, you know, uh, it's not sort of the same kind of like really being able to get in, dig into the, to the finer points of mm-hmm. what people are doing. Um, so, and people aren't really hearing the sound of the group at all until right. we put it together as a video. Um, Which would be super satisfying. Right. The payoff would be like even more. But it, but it doesn't happen right there. No, they've still got right. and And it takes a little, little bit of doing on your part to put that all together. Yeah, it was a lot of work. Um, and, you know, so you're playing your uke three part, which might be like two notes or whatever that's pretty basic, you know, for a beginning player. And you might not really have the concept of of um, how that fits in the bigger piece in the way that you would if you were all in a room playing the piece together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the payoff was for people was even more in a way. Um and we were lucky um, to have Chantel, who I know works with you at mm-hmm. Jehui, um, who was really keen to um, work on the video side of things. So that's an area that I really don't have any experience with. So she she's my go-to video person now. Right. Um, but we each mixed the audio of, of one piece. You know, we had the exp- experience of doing that. So, you know, you have... 
25 tracks of people playing the different parts. And it was really, I learned a lot from doing it. And one of the takeaways from that experience is that, uh, I mean, in general, online teaching requires more preparation and more follow-up, I think, than in-person traditional teaching. And it's one of the reasons that um, a lot of teachers, I think, early on got burned out really quickly because the particularly the follow-up. And here we're seeing where, you know, I don't I don't think that video performance for Cyber Lele is an option. Like you have to yeah. provide that because it's like a joke without a punchline otherwise. Right. You, you don't <laughs> yeah. get that satisfaction. And that is a whole other uh, workload for the instructors that they may not have knowingly signed up for. So it's, yeah. I, you know, I think it's great and it worked out amazingly well and everybody had a great time. But I think teachers out there listening to this, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, have to be aware that, that that's be, now like beware. part of your job uh, yeah. if you really want that to land in the same kind of way and, and for your students to have that satisfaction. Yeah, it's a whole other thing. And I think we, 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 kind of new but you know going through it was a whole it was different you know you yeah. realize oh yeah now we have to spend a week or two weeks or three weeks afterwards <laughs> like doing this other thing yeah. to sort of complete the um but it was very satisfying and i should say there were about 30 people in the group altogether mm. so you know really in some ways a small small group you know, and obviously it could have been 50 or 100 people, but um, the fact that it was 30 kind of actually kept that part of it manageable because right. then at the end you're you're dealing with less files and um, less communication and stuff like that. So, yeah. but it's, um, you know, setting up all the systems and kind of communicating with everybody ahead of time, how it was going to work. And it was, it was, um, it was a project for sure. Would you do it again? We, I... Might, I, you know, definitely like, and people were really interested in doing it again. Mm. So um, we haven't yet decided if and when we're, we're going to do it, but um, I, I'm game. I mean, I could see doing something shorter with just one piece, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, and maybe doing them at intervals, you know, so, okay, we're going to have a one day thing where we work on this piece and then four months later we'll have a one day thing and work on that piece you know right. that right. kind of model yeah so which would certainly simplify things a bit for us and yeah, yeah. but uh, i think there's all kinds of different ways you could kind of come at it and you know it's exciting to see the online what's happening online and people sort of creating these online events um and the different ways they're doing it and i feel like there's a lot um, to learn from, um, and I, I've seen a whole bunch of different music communities that normally have a camp or, uh, you know, a festival or whatever it is, and the different ways that people are managing to to have their event and do it online. It's it's kind of, um, I think there's a lot of potential there. And that leads into my last question, which is, um, everybody's sort of scrambling just to keep their feet under them right now um but are are we far enough into this thing that that you are able to kind of look ahead and you know what's coming and can you give us a sense of what you're excited about um moving forward uh well for me i have just been really enjoying i think i get a lot out of learning new ways of doing things and so i i definitely have have um 
it's been exciting to teach in this way because it's been a new challenge and a new um, learning learning some different technologies and figuring out how they fit together. And so I feel like there's just going to be more of that, um, no question. Um, and I think, I feel like the technology to be able to play together is going in real time, is going to come. Like it's already almost there. It's just not quite user-friendly or practical mm-hmm. enough for people. And, um, but I think it's almost, we're almost there. So I think if we, if this carries on and maybe even if it doesn't, I don't know, I think we're going to see some breakthroughs on that side. And when that happens, I think then we're into a whole other thing about online teaching, you know, and it's hard to predict how that's going to work or whether we're all going to be able to like jump on board and do that, you know, Mm -hmm. That would be a, a big game changer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. We'll, we'll look back on the sort of the Zoom years and be like, uh, <laughs> remember remember when we couldn't hear each other? Remember when there was latency? Uh, yeah. <laughs> nostalgia. For... The nostalgia for 2020. Mm, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. Every I don't know if you've ever <laughs> every once in a while in a when I'm in a Zoom group kind of thing we we unmute everybody and play something together just for fun uh, and it's I don't know if you've done that but it's it's pretty wacky yeah it's pretty <laughs> modern sounding but not yeah. on not really on purpose it's right. un, un, unintentionally modern actually my uh, partner in Gathering Sparks Jane. Lewis, um, you know, I'm in this duo gathering sparks. She does, um, lots of improv vocal kind of stuff. Mm. And she's part of a whole community that's figuring out how to use the latency and, you know, having everybody's mics open, or I don't know if people turn their mics on and off, but they do have ways of making music together. Um, that use makes use of the latency. So that's that's also another interesting thing. I mean, totally different, um, kind of approach to music. It's all improvisational and, sort of chant based I think but right. uh, but I'm kind of curious about that yeah oh I, I I love it because you know um I think we can some of our problems we can solve technologically uh which takes quite a bit of money and and time and yeah. uh, um but we can also solve our some of our problems aesthetically um and that can literally be done overnight for free uh you yeah. just have to change the way you think about music and then maybe the latency doesn't matter so much (laughs) that's right we need we need sort of john cage-esque kind Mm -hmm. of pieces that allow people to come in at different times and that's right and and we have different experiences Mm -hmm. of the of the final thing yeah that's right yeah Yeah. i'm i'm working on some drafts for a project right now that sort of goes down that road so um, I'm super interested in that and, and, uh, I'll keep you in the loop, but w- yeah. where, where can we find out more about Eve Goldberg? Yeah. Well, I have a website, which is evegoldberg.com and, um, there's a whole online section now that I've developed, um, since the pandemic. So you can go check out everything I'm doing online. Um, yeah, that would be the place. Be the place. Um, I'm on Facebook if you want to find me there. <laughs> cool. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Eve, for chatting with me and uh, for sharing some of your thoughts and wisdom uh, with the Euctropolis community. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Um, thank you so much. I feel like um, being connected to Jay Huey over the years has been a really great thing for me. And, um, you know, it was through 
the ukulele in the classroom materials that I really got way into teaching ukulele and developing my studio. So I owe you a big debt of thanks as well. Well, my pleasure. And it's always fun chatting. So um, take yeah. care and we'll, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, you too. Okay. Bye. Bye. And thank you for listening. Tune in next week for more of the Uketropolis podcast. And in the meantime, keep on strumming.